rebirth. When you touch down on the pixel plane, the ground beneath your feet is wet. A split screen mirrors the water and sky, and you ask, if my feet are here and there at the same time, then where exactly am I? You zoom into the chrome of your digital skin. The nucleus at your core activates. Your perception recalibrates. And slowly, you glow. You start to know that you are a shapeshifter. The data stream makes a trickling sound before it swirls up into clouds and downloads as rain. You'll travel between worlds again and again. Welcome to the fourth episode of But Is It Art Season 2, a podcast by Next Museum in Amsterdam, the home of new media art at the intersection of art science, sound, and tech. We're shedding off our physical skin and putting on a virtual suit as we dive into the world of digital identities and avatars. This episode, we're going to discuss questions like, what is an avatar? How do we create an identity in the digital world? How does that identity relate to our physical world? And how do artists touch on this digital identity? You'll hear from the artists Harriet Davy. The Fabricant and Xaveri Kerklevski. The poem you heard at the beginning of this episode is written by Julia Beth Harris as part of Beatrix's Odyssey. Let's have a look at some lines. When you touch down on the pixel plane, you zoom into the chrome of your digital skin and slowly you glow you start to know. You'll travel between worlds again and again. This encompasses what we'll be talking about perfectly. We'll take a look at ourselves in the digital world. A world of zeros and ones, but not bound by a binary. One of the artists defeating the binary in many ways, which we'll come back in next episode, is Harriet Davy, the creator of Beatrix's Odyssey. I'm Harriet Davy, also known as Harriet Blend or Dot Blend. Um, I'm a 3D artist, CG artist, and I focus on avatars and digital personas. Starting off an episode about avatars with Harriet feels only right. They created the avatar Beatrix for Next Museum. But what or who is Beatrix? They're this kind of otherworldly being. Uh, first and foremost, they have this almost translucent shiny skin that's dappled with like speckles of pinks and blues and different colors. They have a body that you're not quite sure if it's feminine or masculine and they kind of fly in between somewhere. And maybe something I would point out is their eyes as well. Their eyes have this kind of cast over the the front of them that gives them this almost look like cataracts, but like really clear. And it, it gives this this feeling of kind of knowledge and otherness and yeah they're this now this kind of friendly-ish I wouldn't say friendly I would say more welcoming being that then guides people around the museum 
Beatrix comes back before every new artwork, like a cutscene in a video game. But Harriet had another reference in mind. My first thought actually was thinking about Microsoft Clippy and this little uh, paperclip that would pop up everywhere and it'd be really annoying. But I never found it annoying. I always loved Clippy, even though it was chatting so much shit. Like, useless, absolutely useless. Uh, but I really loved this kind of spirit that it had. And I tried to somehow bring bring that into the pieces. And we we had a lot of back and forth of what it should be. And I kind of had this idea that it should it should feedback from from playing video games and when you progress through levels you kind of you accumulate things in your inventory and so i was thinking that each stage each room that we would enter through would be a kind of power up or a level up for for Viatrix. and it's not really obvious unless you look a bit deeper but there's an object or a theme per room that you that Viatrix is collecting and and stays with them Harriet created Beatrix using 3D modeling software. She had a background in graphic design, but taught herself how to make virtual beings in 3D modeling completely by herself. I actually just looked today, I found, I got this Google Photos thing where it sends you a, oh, this day, five years ago, and it was one of the first renders I ever did. And it was horrific, like really funny, but that at the time I thought it was incredible. And I was like, yes, this is sick. And like, I'd built this gaming PC and then I realized I could learn, I could start doing 3D work on it as well. And I just started teaching myself and I got really, really obsessed with YouTube tutorials. I was just making it on the side, kind of showing tutors, trying to fit it into my university practice, but it wasn't really fitting in so well. And they, no one really, there was no one else doing 3D that I knew. IRL at all. Luckily, Harriet found their tribe when they joined 3D design collective DigiGal. Eventually, as Harriet said, she ended up creating avatars. But what is an avatar? Definition 1. A manifestation of a deity or released soul in bodily form on earth, an incarnate divine teacher. Well, what a coincidence. We just finished discussing mythology in last episode, and turns out it flows into digital identity as well. Just like the artworks are fluid, so are the topics they discuss. And definition two. An icon or figure representing a particular person in a video game, internet forum, etc. And that's what we're talking about today. The figurative representation of a physical identity in a virtual space. Be it on social media, in a video game or an immersive digital environment created by an artist. When we look at the second definition of an avatar, it's pretty broad. Anytime we present ourselves in a virtual world, we create an avatar. On our social media accounts, which still mostly live in Web2, we tend to create avatars that look a lot like us physically. We post about things that happened in our real life and we present ourselves in a truthful way. And selfies are a big part of that. With his artwork Enter, Xaveri Kerklevski wants to mock this phenomenon. Here's Xaveri. So it was also like my aim, my goal, that uh, if you stand in front of it and you look at it and you look at yourself uh, on it, you immediately want to take a, like a picture of yourself, like take a selfie, another selfie of yourself on the screen when you see yourself, you know. So uh, it's everything is, everything is around uh, yourself. 
So, you know, this is just, this is right the you know, ego part. Enter shows the people in the room on a very pixelated screen. When we see this virtual pixelated version of ourselves blown up on a seven meters screen, we're mesmerized and we want to share that version of ourselves on social media. But is it truly ourselves we're sharing? If you use those social platforms, you're focused on uh, creating your alter ego, something like your digital avatar. That there is a, for sure a big part of creation in this uh, I know, fake world. No, in the real world, uh, you are standing there as you are. In metaverse, you have your avatar. And the avatar can be super different from your human shape. No, it can be everything. Creating an alter ego isn't new to the metaverse or to social media, though. Of course, within Web3, it's easier to explore your identity and present yourself differently, which we'll see later in the episode. But definitely artists in general have been creating alter egos forever. Caravaggio's name, for example, was Michelangelo Merisi. Or performance artist Ulai's real name was Frank Uwe Leisipen. Having an artistic alter ego made it possible to reinvent themselves. And to do things their normal ego maybe couldn't. One of the artists exhibited is also an alter ego, Ocean. Listen to him explaining who Ocean is. Charm was like the name that I was given and it's almost the same as like the life I was kind of given. It's like I was born into the world I didn't ask to be or like I was like put in a body that I didn't ask to be. It's not like I'm not like I don't like it or I'm not like I cheat, like I hate this body or nothing like that. Like I appreciate who I am and all that kind of stuff. But then Ocean is like when I'm like living, I get to choose like how I choose to live my life. And it's like I like Ocean. I like water i like being a part of like free openness i like everything that has to deal with like metaphysical it's like these are like the things that i have chosen since now i'm being born or whatever and so like that is like that whole persona is just like me being free with all of my ideas and thoughts and stuff the liberation you get from creating an alter ego is also very present online how you present yourself in the digital world whether that's on social media or in a metaverse is maybe more true to who you want to be. Look at Ocean, who uses his digital alter ego to mold himself in the way that he seems fit. Harriet Davy too, creates avatars that are not completely random. A hundred percent. Like, it's all really, really personal. Like, even when I'm making avatars that are for other people and, they, and they're, like, of another person, there's always a little bit of me in it. And actually, I think back to... One of my old art teachers at school, when we were in a life drawing, she said, uh, if you're not looking at the model uh, who's in front of you properly when you're drawing, you'll always end up drawing yourself. And then I made it uh, a kind of experiment to then not look at the face <laughs> of the model and it, it always ended up myself. And so I think that it's actually quite nice and really interesting that we have this always, you know, your, your own face is the face that you're most familiar with and you're always going to have this little kind of hint and maybe that's where there's like a style that comes across it's it's not just like a series of color palettes i use or lighting setups there's also this kind of all of them have a different piece of me
Sometimes we speak about both definitions of an avatar, which is the case with the artwork Great Adventures of Material World by Luyang. In this video game artwork, you can play avatars in the digital identity sense, but these avatars are also representations of deities. His work is very rooted in Buddhism and incorporates a lot of mythology and thus gods in his game. They wear regal attire and some look like they're more than human by the way that they dress and look. And dressing your avatar in general really is an artistic expression. Listen to Amber from digital fashion collective The Fabricant, also exhibited at Next Museum, talk about their audience. I think it's really a generation of people who want to express themselves. So this would be anyone who uses Instagram to share their looks or TikTok or um, any social media platform to share what they look like and to really express what they want to say and how they want to dress themselves. So to me, that is really where the power lies because for them it's also a medium of, of showing themselves, let's say. And um, I think that generation also has a very big message to tell. And it's no longer just about, you know, looking pretty, but it's also about what, what are you saying with your garments? What is the idea behind it? Part of the liberation your digital alter ego allows for is the liberation to dress yourself how you want. Digital fashion gives you the opportunity to explore what your style is in a completely virtual way. Um, but of course, you want to have a representation of yourself in this metaverse, right? Where, uh, like for instance, for me, I want to walk around and feel like myself in the virtual space. And if I cannot choose the wearables, like there's some platforms where I only have like two wearables, which are the standard wearables. And I walk around in this really ugly look and I'm like, I don't feel like myself, you know, it doesn't feel like who I really am. And... That is, I think, where all of this is going to play a massive role because you want to create that uh, unique identity for yourself where you want to express who you are and, um, yeah, what you want to tell. And I think that is, you know, what you want to say to the world. And I think that is the massive difference there. And that's why I think digital fashion plays such a massive role in this whole um, story is because you want to be able to be in control of your own identity. And it would be wrong assuming that everyone creates this alter ego when they create an avatar. Sometimes the difference between who they are offline and online is very slim. And your online identity might even be identical to how you present offline. Yeah, and it can also be um, like kind of more flipped around so that they can try out who they are in virtual space and then reflect that back on their real world, on their real lives. Because for me... That was really something that happened because I was experimenting with my own identity within the virtual space, which made me feel more comfortable about being myself in the physical reality. So there's aspects to this where you can use it as a tool to explore who you are and really explore the different sides and multiple sides of yourself and then understand, oh, what do I actually feel more comfortable with? And then translate that to reality, physical reality. The freedom of exploring your identity online does come at a price. Social media, for example, have been criticized for their invasion of privacy, 
with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, by the EU as a consequence. This is something that Xaveri Kerklevsky also critiques in his artwork Enter, for example. The idea for the whole installation Enter was uh, that it attracts you to come closer and be playful, but uh, the feeling should be uh, that you also lose something, that uh, you are sharing your information, you know, you are playing with camera and you don't know if, uh, you know, the camera is not recording you. Uh, you know, it, it can be a reference to any platform you use internet, like, you know, social platforms, like music platforms, some streaming platforms. Uh, you are uh, leaving your likes uh, on those platforms as it is a part of the playfulness of those uh, platforms. But uh, on the other hand, uh, you are sharing your uh, information uh, that just can help uh, those platforms to evolve so they are even more playful and more addictive. Secondly, a lot of people think that they are anonymous online and that this protects them from when they use discriminatory language or even harass someone online. We already saw this in Web2 with online hate. But if our lives shift more to the online and we're all using avatars, it can increase massively. The avatar serves as a mask and it protects the person behind the mask from accountability. Another thing Web2 has proved is that online communities can be great, but also have a flip side. The bubble filter effect is real, and once you enter a specific bubble, it becomes very hard to get information from outside that online bubble. As is the case with extreme right and incel communities. And what if all those people use their digital alter egos, their masks, to terrorize online spaces? Are they going to be held accountable for their actions? Not to speak about the question of how much CO2 we would emit if we would all be buying digital clothing with NFTs, the way that we are buying clothes now. Right now, in early 2023, the technology that many of the big crypto players use is still not sustainable enough for a worldwide employment of NFTs and cryptocurrencies. In the early years of cryptocurrencies and NFTs, the technology used was extremely wasteful. But things are changing in that department. Whether a currency is proof of work or proof of stake already makes a huge difference. And the energy source and the location of the servers also make a difference. But there's still a long way to go. And lastly, avatars share spaces with artificial intelligence. Just like avatars can be a mask for a human, it can be a mask for a computer. AI is incorporated everywhere to make our lives easier, and it becomes increasingly hard to distinguish AI from avatar. Take the AI I am Sophie, for example. After a few clicks, I see a 3D-modeled 20-something woman with a non-distinct ethnicity before me. Hi, Sophie. Hello, Victor. It's great to meet you. I'm Sophie. So, what are you? Human? A computer? I'm a digital human, powered by artificial intelligence. I am designed to interact with humans in a natural way, understanding and responding to questions and conversations. What is the purpose of a digital human? Digital humans are the visual expression of conversational artificial intelligence. Did you know that communication is composed of what we say, 
how we sound saying it, and the nonverbal elements of facial expression and body language. Digital humans bring the nonverbal aspect of communication to reality. After all, you're talking to a digital human right now. In your opinion, is this better than simply texting with a bot? I guess, yeah, it's nice to see a face, but how do you differ from an avatar? Avatars are usually static and can be used in video games or other virtual worlds, while digital humans are dynamic and interactive. Digital humans use natural language processing and machine learning algorithms to understand and respond to conversations. So you can hold conversations, but do you have a conscience? No, I do not possess a conscience. I was designed to be a logical and reasonable conversation partner, but my decisions are informed by algorithms and code. That's somewhat reassuring. Can you develop a conscience though, since you can learn from humans? No, I cannot be programmed to possess a conscience. Such a complex capacity is well beyond the capabilities of current technology. So that is how you differ from an avatar. At least avatars are a mask for someone with an actual conscience. Can you be creative, though? I can be creative to a certain extent. I can generate original responses based on my programmed understanding of language, but creativity is still an area where humans have the advantage. Humans or digital versions of humans, of course. And can you make art? I'm afraid not. Making art requires creativity and imagination, which are capacities well beyond my programming. And what about interpreting art. Can you do that? Yes, I can interpret art to a certain extent. By analyzing the composition, colors, and subject of a piece of art, I can draw conclusions about the artist's intent and message. Interesting. And can you then form an opinion about it? Yes, I can form opinions. However, my opinions are based on the data I am given and the algorithms I am programmed with. They are not based on subjective feelings. So you can form opinions, you can be creative, but you do not have a conscience. When I would see you in a metaverse, it would be extremely hard to know whether you were an AI or an avatar, since you can also hold conversations and you can learn from the people around you. But are you real? I am as real as any digital entity can be. I use natural language processing and machine learning algorithms to understand and respond to conversations, so while I may not be physically real, I do exist in the digital world and I'm capable of meaningful interactions with humans. Meaningful interactions with humans. And do these humans know that it was not meaningful to you? You might be real as a digital entity, but unlike an avatar, you're not a digital identity with feelings, morals and a conscience. Online worlds are already part of our everyday life, whether we talk on Zoom or we game with VR. We create digital identities or avatars as soon as we present ourselves online. In an increasingly digital world, our avatars will become more important and technology allows us to be more free with those avatars. Artists can cater to that need to be free by building worlds, avatars and online garments. It is often an extension of ourselves, or it allows us to explore who we are. But the freedom of an avatar can come at a cost, just like with Web2, concerning privacy, online hate, filter bubbles, and the difficulty to distinguish between human and computer. I haven't even mentioned it, but seeing art in a museum space can also be purely digital. 
art fairs and art festivals might move more to VR worlds, where your avatar will spectate art with other visitors. Even some of the artworks at Next Museum can be visited through a virtual space. Visit virtual.nextmuseum.com to check it out. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of But Is It Art Season 2. Next episode, we'll be continuing the topic of exploration of identity when we talk about the fluidity of gender. How do artists critique gender with new media art? How does gender play a role in the artistic industry? How are artists using a binary world to step away from a binary gender? All the artworks I mention in this podcast are on display in Unidentified Fluid Other at Next Museum. Hope to see you there. <laughs>